Welcome to Hoof and Horn, a witch's podcast, where we talk about witchcraft, paganism, music, the occult, and whatever else we want. We're like the Blue Moon podcast. Once in a blue moon. Mm. <laughs> this is this is pretty close, honestly, to our last podcast, you know, so <laughs> pat ourselves on the back of the broomstick, honey. True. True. At least we're consistent. We are, right? You can expect us to be far and few in between with our podcasting. But I've been in school and Samuel just moved. And you've been playing lots of drums, and we're busy, so, right? Most things have to happen, right. for sure. Um, how are you, Samuel? I'm doing great. Um, on a new diet right now, which I love <laughs> so much. I do miss chocolate, though. Every once in a while, I get a whiff of a Snickers bar, and <laughs> my heart just beats a little bit harder. Um, I'm still... I still have a new job. I absolutely love it. It's fantastic uh, here in Bloomington. Um, I also started working at the Burnished Raven. It's a little spiritual shop in Bloomington also. Love it. I read on Sundays. Um, We've been, me and the shop owner, his name's Rain, have been getting together monthly meetups for local Bloomington pagans and witches, which has been phenomenal. Um, our lovely other podcast hosts were able to come to the best potluck that's ever happened in Indiana <laughs> uh, this past month, which I was very thankful for, and enjoying a very simple life right now. I'm also taking a new class by Robin Artson, which is phenomenal. Oh my gosh, it is incredible, and I've probably already had maybe 400 pages of reading in maybe three modules, so... Uh, Incredible, astounding, wonderful, 10 out of 10, worth it all. But doing pretty good. How about you guys? (laughs) I love how he goes from easy, read-a-holic, into, how are you guys? (laughs) 400 pages of text. How are you? Uh, Have you uh, read any good books lately? That's awesome, dude. Hats off to you, man. You, You read a lot. That's great. We're also still reading for our votary training this year. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so I'm switching quite frequently between book required by votary training, module required by Robin Artisan, and yeah. then also personal reading, you know, maybe as a devotional. And I'm just like switching between reading. So it's a very unique thing to juggle right now, let me tell you. I've been finding um, audiobooks helping me at the moment. Because I feel like I'm always doing... Somebody always needs something. And the time that I have to kind of sit down and do my reading outside of the last bits of reading I have to do for my course, I have a script account. And I just finished Conjuring... uh, Was it Conjuring the Spirits or something? By Jason Miller. And it's great to just pop on a chapter and listen to it when I'm driving. um, Because I, you know... Every place I go is at least a half an hour away, so <laughs> I can finish a whole book in, in two days. Um, yep. So that's that's a helpful thing for uh, getting a book read. I have a new boyfriend. His name is Voodoo. <laughs> He's a black kitty. 
who lives here at Braxis's house. That I feel like I manifested, but didn't have to bring home to yeah. my eight kitties. <laughs> exactly what you did. <laughs> he loves me. Motherfucker showed up right on my porch. Yep. And he melted my boyfriend. <laughs> How are you, Braxton? He doesn't seem to like you. I'm all right. Hanging in there. Living life. Good. So we're having a mini podcast today. Right? Yeah, I like that. How long is it? Four minutes and 14 seconds? Yeah, we're done now. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the introduction. Hi, everybody. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Very on par for us. The gossip happened pre-podcast. <laughs> right. But we are having a mini podcast about our upcoming class next year that the three of us are teaching that is open to anyone, anywhere in the entire world because it will be hosted on Zoom. And it is called Elementary Witchcraft. That seems pretty simple. Well, 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 yes, it seems, seems elementary. It seems elementary. Yeah. Yes, and it can sound like it's elementary. Oh, the simple, the basic, right? But I firmly believe that a strong and firm foundation in your magical practice leads you to bigger and better things. So we have a class a month. People can sign up for the entire class in one shot, or you know, you can pick and choose. These classes we are uh, actually requiring for anyone that is considering joining our, our coven here in central Indiana. And the reason for that is, is because we are not currently a teaching coven. The, um, in years past, the coven that I ran with assistance from Braxis Hello. as a coven sage was definitely a teaching coven. Um, and I think that we did some good things. I think the coven that the, you know, the three of us have now, we get together and we have our practice together and each of us are individually learning things but it's not a situation where um myself uh, i am teaching and bringing up um new witches that are in the coven um and that is helpful for me and where i'm at in my practice and i think helpful for all three of us but i do understand that sometimes people are looking for covens to work in and I don't want to, I don't think any of us really want to expect everyone to come in as a, you know, similar to a, the way that we did. Oh no. That's not fair, Zozo. That was loud. You know, I, I feel like people have a, there's a space to learn and I think we learn from each other. Um, but this is a way for people to learn and then decide if they want to continue working with us. You don't have to petition the coven at the end of these classes in any way, shape or form. The information is there for you to go and go off and, and do the work individually on your own, start your own coven, etc. But it's just as a part of our petitioning process would be uh, taking these classes. So do you wanna kick us off into a list of what these class course topics are going to be, Samuel? Absolutely, and I would like to reiterate the fact that uh, our High Priestess is absolutely correct, that 
while we still learn and grow within the coven, we're not specifically learning how to anoint a candle. We're not specifically learning how to invoke deity or elementals. We're working together but learning from each other in the courses and classes that we personally are taking. I very much uh, enjoy the fact that uh, the Temple of the Hallowed Gods was previously named Novices of the Old Ways. As much as I have been practicing this craft for almost eight, nine years now, um, I still feel like a novice. And I think that's a very humble way to push yourself and orient yourself in the world of witchcraft. You're never going to know anything. You may be exemplary in specific areas of the craft, but you're not going to know everything. Mm-mm. So uh, while I think that the title elementary witch course may seem a little bit, you know, basic or simple for a new or rediscovering witch, it never hurts to redefine and relearn things that you maybe have put to the side. Uh, witchcraft to me is a layered practice. The more you layer yourself, the more you layer your craft, the better and more potent your work is going to be. Uh, so I think that even if you have been practicing for a few years, but you're like, hey, I've never really done anything with the Sabbath before or the Wheel of the Year. Let me let me check that out. You're not going to learn just basic 101 stuff. You're going to learn stuff that has been practiced, developed, and cultured through years of development by the practitioners and the people that are initiated into the Crow Torch and Feral Night Coven of Central Indiana. That's right. And that is the first... Oh, oh dog, dog. <laughs> that is the first uh, January's course is the Solar and Lunar Wheel of the Year. And like we were talking about before, um, you know, the especially the solar sabbats are very agriculturally based. And we're not all farmers, right? We might depend on on that um, that cycle. But I've always when I've taught people or worked with covens or either one of my prison circles, we take the theme and then build it out for, you know, modern witches and pagans. You know, it might be about fertility, let's say, or harvest. But if I don't have a garden or, you know, if it's like one of my ladies at prison, they're not harvesting anything. So this is sort of like a 201 as opposed to a 101 class, because how do we take these themes and then make them work for a, a, a modern practitioner? How do I look at this theme and then apply it to my life as someone who's living in, you know, 20, well, I guess the time would be 2023. And maybe Absolutely. some people don't work with the solar year, wheel of the year. Maybe they don't really know what to do on a full moon, right? What do I do on this full moon? So we're gonna talk about some of the, um, the signs that the moon can go through, how to work with, um, new moon dark moon full moon energy and just set that set the tone there in february i will be leading the elemental and deity evocations and invocations because that is one area that i feel like uh i like to devote a lot of energy and time to in my personal practice as well as in our public rituals Braxis and Samuel are so good at 
evoking those elemental guardians that I don't even do it anymore because that's one of the parts of the ritual that I I enjoy. I love that part because I'm like, damn, they're good at that, right? And so <laughs> part of that class will be developing relationships with the elemental worlds, guardians, energies. You know, uh, I've always equated that to if you have that relationship, they will show up. Um, I can think of the block that I live on. And there are some people that live on that block that I have no idea who they are. And then there are other people that, you know, I know the lady that lives diagonally from me. She's from Connecticut. Like, we're the East Coast girls. I know I can go knock on Mary's door. And she invites me sometimes to the barbecues. And I know she would come over. Like, I know her. So if I go in knocking and I invite her over to my house, Mary will show up. But if I go in the opposite direction and there's, I don't even know who lives in that. Are they going to come to my party? Do I know that I want them at my party? Because I have no idea who they're bringing with them. And I have no idea who they are. And so I think um, that class will be developing relationships and how to develop relationships with those elemental um, worlds and spirits and guardians to empower your work when you call them in. Um, same thing with deity evocations and invocations. It, it's it's more than, you know, welcome, Hakate, be here with us now. Hi. You, you know, like, there's so much more to that. And I think that that's an area of uh, ritual that requires some time and dedication and energy. And the more you do there, the stronger that connection, if you're working with deity, can become, the more that they will show up or their helper spirits will show up. And the other analogy I have is if I, I don't know, if my name is Jane and I go to a party of people I don't know and I hear someone shout, Jane, I... I might, I'm probably going to think they're not talking to me because I don't know anyone here. But if my name is Jane Thompson and they say, Jane Thompson, I'm going to stop what I'm doing and I'm going to look. And then if they say Jane Thompson, who was born on April 17th, 1982, and that's my birthday. Jane Thompson, who has eight cats. And did, the more that they say about me, the more I'm going to beeline it for that person. Like, whoa, you're talking to me. And I feel like that's very similar to deity invocations. And if we put more into that, they show up for us stronger and it makes for better magic, you know? Amen, sister. Mm. And uh, I absolutely agree with that. Something that uh, we as a cousin have really done our best to not do is to quote unquote, read from the book. Mm. As mm -hmm. much as I love an Orphic hymn, you're more focused energetically on reading the words exactly, more so than allowing the words and invocation to come from your soul, from your being as a person, which is really what draws the deity to us. It's partly the words, but it's the energy and focus that you put on that deity, on that energy specifically to draw them to your circle, practice, whatever it is. So, um, one of my favorite things that Tamara taught me is to just speak from the heart. So the more you know the deity, the energy types, 
the aspects that the deity or elements are involved with, the more potent that they're going to show up because you're speaking from not only your personal knowledge but from your heart and you're focused more on uh, what you're feeling rather than reading off of the page. Yeah. Which, which I absolutely personally have seen deity show up more potently when I do that, more so than when I read the Orphic Hymn. As much as I love the flowery language, but if I'm focusing on how to say this word correctly, the, the flow of energy is absolutely like hindered. It's not broken, but mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's there, the energy level is not the same. It's not equated, absolutely. Yeah. I think you, use a, you can use a, an Orphic Hymn or a poem or um, something from history as an offering Right. Once you know, mm-hmm. you've established that connection, you can leave that uh, or read that or sing something as an offering, because it's out like they know their story, right? So yeah. use that as an offering. In or if you remember it verbatim, the Morgan's yes. Peace Prophecy, I know by heart because I say it so frequently. Yes. And now that I'm able to, I've memorized it and I say it in uh, in space with her. It flows so potently. So if you love the Orphic Hymns, memorize, memorize it. it. Because yeah. it it takes the burden off of your mind to read the words and understand what you're reading rather than intently knowing what you're saying. True that. Mm-hmm. What's in March? In March, I will be teaching Psychic Development and Spiritual Hygiene. It is quite a known factor that when you start developing witch sleep practice, or starting to develop an understanding of the other world, the other world will also start to notice you. So that's why spiritual hygiene, cleansing, consecrating, things like that to keep out unwanted energies is vastly important for a spiritual practitioner of any spiritual practice, not even just witchcraft specifically. So I'll be teaching you how I traditionally was taught to cleanse yourself uh, with spiritual baths, um, psychic development will also be kind of connected to the course afterwards, uh, Meditation for Modern Witches. Um, it'll, you know, tell you how to develop your personal psychic gift, or if you have multiple psychic gifts, how to develop those as well and how to work with them, how to develop them strongly. And I think that, of course, all of us are born with psychic gifts. We are all born with that internal knowing, our intuition. But how are we able to fine-tune that psychic intuition, that knowing, that feeling, that seeing, that understanding, um, to such a degree that we're able to read for clients, that we're able to suss out negative people, specifically negative practitioners that we may frequent with? How do we keep away from people? How do we recognize other people as the spiritual practitioner? Um, things will come with that, and psychic development may be one of those things that will start possibly at March if you've never touched a psychic ability before or if you have before, and it will lead through the entirety of the rest of the course. So it will not just be a, oh, we're going to learn how to develop our psychic gifts in March. Uh-uh. I am still working on my psychic gifts. It is a, it is a gift that is compounded upon the more you work on it. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be focusing on that as well. I, I like the aspect of spiritual hygiene. You know, I talked about that on uh, this past Sunday when I was at one of the women's prisons. 
you know, and a lot of, you know, she approached me with, I think I'm cursed. This has happened and this has happened. I was like, well, let's just first step back and go, when was the last time that you spiritually cleansed yourself? You know, and I, and I talked to them about recently, it occurred to me that I was quite spiritually icky to a point of feeling a way that I'm not familiar with feeling. What's the point of this? What's the point of that? moods that I didn't recognize as being normal to myself you know what was what's the point of the last 15 years of my career what's you know what's the point of this why should I even do that and I realized wait a second when was the last time I did a good spiritual cleansing oh (laughs) quite some time ago you know so I, I I did that for myself and it was a it was a game changer and I think we tend to leave that out a lot. If we don't make a habit out of that, it doesn't become part of our practice. It's, you know, imagine what she would smell like if you didn't take a shower for six weeks. I mean, and so what was I spiritually smelling like and what was all over me that of course I was feeling that way, you know, of course. And so it is, I like that it's coming in the, in the, towards the beginning quarter, at least of, of the class, because it's something people can keep up as they're, as they're working. You mentioned the meditation, and that's April, that you and Braxis will be working together, I think, on the meditation. And you're going to do your wonderful um, meditation that everybody loves. Yes, you know everybody loved it at the retreat. The minnows. Oh, right. Yeah. Lead everybody through the minnows meditation of yeah, grounding yeah. and cleansing, which, again, is going to be similar to spiritual hygiene to a certain degree. Right. And it, it could also come into play with those relationships you're trying to build with the elementals of, you know, incorporating mm-hmm. them into the meditation, whether it be guided or you make up your own. Right. But it's always good to, I think it's, meditation is one of the, like, easiest but hardest things ever. Because yeah. all you have to do is sit there and turn off your thoughts, but all you have to do is sit there and turn off your thoughts. So it's fucking hard. <laughs> yeah. And, and easy at the same time. So just kind of a course on that. I think it's good for everybody, witches or not, to be able to reset or find something that at least helps them to reset. You know, it doesn't have to be you sitting there not thinking and not talking to yourself or whatever, but you could be walking out in nature. You know, there's, mm-hmm. everybody knows, you know, staring at the ocean. There's all those kinds, but... Right. Uh, I think whatever it is, it's just good to practice it and keep it in regularity. Yeah. I mean, and, and I think for for magical practitioners, for witches, for pagans, knowing your inner voice is super important because when you know your inner voice, you're going to be able to recognize when it's not your inner voice. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Because, I mean, and when you are sitting there, in, in mindful awareness meditation and just le- letting your mind do what it's doing, you are learning what it's typically like. And if we're going to be talking about psychic development, we're going to be talking about connecting with deity, right? The elementals. Knowing the difference between them and you is really, really important. A lot of times then you're just going to be thinking it's constantly a message from whoever. And a lot of the time, it is not. It is your mind. And if you don't know what your mind sounds like and how your mind works, you're going to mistake everything for being a message. Um, I have a uh, well, inner voice when I get too fucked up. Oh, the one that calms you down? <laughs> yeah. <I know. laughs> it's going to be all right. You did this and this, and uh, it's probably going to take this amount of hours, and 
when that hour is up, then you can start freaking out if you still feel this way. <laughs> right. Oh, okay. You uh, get very much in connection with your with your oh, higher yeah. self it's when like you are somebody altered. just sitting like not exactly straight up, but off to the side a little bit behind me. Yeah. And is basically just ex- watching me experience whatever, even when I'm on the ground. And you know when you're like so, maybe I shouldn't be talking about this, but sometimes you're just so (laughs) fucked up that you're in the fetal position and you're just concentrating on your breathing you know and there's just this little voice that's always like yep this is what you're gonna have to do but it's gonna be all right you've been here before (laughs) (laughs) and you've come back (laughs) from the edge back again (laughs) (laughs) i also think meditation is potent for spiritual practitioners because of the active visualization is a uh, potent aspect of spellcraft of ritual work is the act to visualize what you're wanting to manifest uh, currently happening to you um, something that and we can segue into what May's coursework is is candle magic and spell writing the first thing I ever learned from my mentor a Espiritista and Yaya and Ganga of a Palomayombe was candle magic. So when I do a money spell, not only do I envision like money pouring from my pockets like dollar bills, but I visualize gold coins falling on my head and all over my body and just filling up the room. Visualization is not only a psychological aspect that is integral to magical practice, but if you are really wanting to push your willpower out into the physical world so it's no longer astrally there, it's physically happening, visualization is developed most potently through meditation. Um, but speaking on candle magic, in this course, I will teach you how to uh, anoint candles in an appropriate direction obviously candle colors, but I'll also teach you how to connect with the spirits of your personal frame and how to develop spells based off of how you work specifically. I was actually thinking about this on my drive home from work today, and I was like, okay, well, red is typically associated with love and passion and sex, you know, but per the Morgan, it's also associated with power and sovereignty. So there are more things outside of the typical canonical correspondences of candle colors that we'll go deeper into. Love it. Um, In this course, we'll also talk about not only how to write a spell, but we will all cooperatively write a spell, work that spell according to moon phases, maybe a planetary alignment or so that we've learned previously in our daily and elemental indications. And in that next course I teach, We'll talk about if you've seen anything manifest from that spell work. Something I think that pagans and witches get more so than any other spiritual practice or religious practice get is the physical manifestation of the work that we perform. So you're talking about you're talking about June. Spell or ritual is meant to do is to give you a physical manifestation. If you do a money spell, well. I better get that money. You know, that's why we do that work. Absolutely. So that's what we will... Oh, in in this course also we'll talk about herbs. 
a little bit as well before uh, Tamara's herbalism course, uh, more of the Materia Magica aspect of how to uh, create an herbal sachet or an herbal mixture and how to put it on the candle okay. to work with the intention that you are going to push into the physical reality. Yay, that's May, isn't it? That's May, that's absolutely. May. And so in June, the topic is demystifying magic. Ooh, tell me about that. Ooh. <laughs> uh, so, so while I think magic can do literally anything, I think it can do absolutely anything. I think also with the modern time period of uh, TV, social media, I think magic has gotten this almost miracle rep that I think is not outside of the scope of magic, but I think it's outside of what is consciously able for a practitioner to see. Now, speaking from experience, have I seen money spells happen where I find $20 on the ground and win some money off the scratch-off ticket? Absolutely, that I would never have gotten before. But demystifying magic is going to be more of the focusing on how the physical aspect of the human life influences your mystical life more potently. If you do a money spell and you're not going to work, well, where, where's your money coming from? You know, you're going, money spells typically gear towards more opportunity to gain money, more customers, more clients, a raise or so. So uh, demystifying magic will talk about how mystical practice compounds on your physical life. More specifically, we were uh, at a coven meeting that we had. Uh, Tamara lit the uh, cauldron with the sacred fire in it, and it poofed up, and I was like, holy shit, oh my god, that was so cool, when in all reality, it was just the, the, the chemical reaction that <laughs> yeah. alcohol has when it's in the air. Yeah. And I was like, oh my god, how fucking insane is that? But I was like, no, wait. There is a chemical, scientific explanation to why that happened. While it is very cool and adds to the magical effect, it may not necessarily be the effect of magic specifically, but more a more scientific explanation that will be applied to it. Yeah, yeah. I think people forget to, to do the mundane things along with the magic. Yeah. You know, they kind of do the magic and then turn off all their... I don't know, gumption or motivation to actually do the mundane physical things that need to be done. That once they are done, then there's certain things in place and certain relationships that could be built and certain even mistakes that become, you know, an opportunity to learn or go on a different path to get you to the same place. Correct. Directly. And I think that the whatever you call mundane can actually make your magic more powerful because you're opening up pathways for the magic to work for you like you know samuel's ex example if you do a money spell you don't have a job you know maybe you need to do the job spell before you know i need twelve hundred dollars kind of spell you know what i mean yeah. so yeah, yeah there's the the idea that you do everything that you can on the mundane level mm -hmm. and then your magic is there to enchant and guarantee that those mundane things will lead where you need them to lead. And I'm sorry if everybody keeps hearing this little dinging. My phone <laughs> is broken. Uh, I'm hearing a lot of dinging. <laughs> <It's just laughs> 
So my my charger port broke, but I can still charge it on a wireless. Apparently you cannot. I can. It's charging right now, but it keeps falling off because I'm holding it so we oh, can see Samuel I got, yeah. on our Zoom call. Oh. So sorry. <laughs> I'll fix um, it by the next podcast. In July. Also, oh, go ahead. Also in that class, I'll talk about how I just thought this based off of what you just said. I think it's extremely salient that historically what witches needed versus what modern witches needed mm -hmm. are similar but almost vastly different in the same vein so uh, i think that while our ancestors may have been worried about oh my gosh my cow isn't giving milk more than likely a majority of us are not worried about our cows giving milk you right. know so it's about how historically we can utilize magical practice as well to fit a modern day age based off of what our ancestors did and what we need currently. Yeah. Love it. July, I will be teaching basic magical herbalism, which I should update for the website because there is basic herbalism. I am not going to be touching upon um, medicinal or nourishing herbalism. That's a different class. Um, but this be to be basic magical herbalism and that is actually a standalone class that I have that I'm going to be working into this one and I I love it I love it so much I think that's one of the um, my favorite areas of magic is incorporating spirit plant spirits roots into magic minerals into magic and so it'll all be uh, in there and, you know, I mean, I, I, hello, I'm in a Hoarders Anonymous because I hoard herbs. I really do. I have a lot, but we don't necessarily need to have too many to get the job done. So we're even going to talk about some of the things you might find typically in a kitchen and what you can use uh, for your magic that you might have in the kitchen. Herbs. Herbs. Herbalism. I once heard British people while I was in England making fun of Americans for saying herbs and not herbs and basil and we say basil and I think that they knew I was American and they were making fun of me. Probably. <laughs> August. Samuel's back up again with general divination skills. In this course, I will be teaching you how to connect with the spirit of your frame that reads your divination system. I think that currently in the modern age, we really heavily focus on tarot. I read tarot, I've also read Lenormand, I've also read playing cards, I also read Chamalongos. It's a, that's an Af Afro-Caribbean style of divination. I like that. Uh, uh, but there are as many divination systems as there are words in the dictionary. So you may not, you may be shit at reading tarot, but you may be great at reading coffee grind. Yeah. So this course specifically, I'll teach you not only how to connect with your spirit that reads the divination system that you personally connect with, per the meditation course that you've learned previously and the psychic development course that you will have learned previously as well, but we're also going to, in this time period, research, learn what kind of divination systems there are, how we're able to in, employ our psychic skills on this divination system. 
how to read clients. I don't think people that can read a tarot card should all be reading clients. Mm. Reading clients in a specifically uh, energetic, uh, energetic thing that is that you have to learn how to do. Uh, I specifically had to get a reading from the godfather of my spiritual house that my godmother initiated me in to tell me that it was okay that I could read clients. So. Oh, no. We'll talk oh, yes. about the how to read clients, why we read to uh, develop your divination skills so it's no longer, I'm going to read from the little white book, mm-hmm. but I'm going to listen to the spirit that reads these divination systems and He's how to getting interpret their message. Oh, no. Uh oh, you're getting on, chopped Samuel. up there, Samuel. And we're back. back. Technology. You know, that happens. So after general divination skills in September, we'll be talking about ritual construction. And I am up for that one. And you are going to help me with that one because if anybody has helped me with ritual for the last nine years, it has been Braxis. And, you know, if, when you have your personal practice, you do what you do, right? Uh, you know, this is more focused on doing ritual with other people, whether that is public ritual or a a private invite only, how do you write those rituals? And so it's taking you through ritual construction. I usually use a format of starting at the center and building it out, and then you conduct that ritual in a linear fashion. Um, We are, like Samuel said, really big on putting down the book. We do not have the Xerox copies out. That does take um, confidence and, and practice, but you kind of dedication. Dedication, but you kind of have to look at it like. How badly do you want the thing to actually work? Yeah, and and there, this is this is magic and ritual. And if we are so hung up on everything going exactly how we planned it out, then we're not really leaving room for the gods to show us something that we didn't even expect during ritual, and so. Maybe you have a ritual practice or a ritual run through, or you're running through it in your head like you would a freaking dance recital. I don't know, a play, a skit that you're going to do. But then it's, it is always a situation where we have put down the, the paper, the outline, and then we do it. Do it. We're going to do it too. We do it. In October, <clears throat> sacred drum and chant. Oh, that's me. That's this guy. That's me and over me. Here. And I'll and help you. you yeah, too, of course. Right? With the chanting, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Drumming's important to have some basic knowledge about. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just feeling a rhythm really helps you when you chant. And when you chant, it really helps to feel the rhythm. So, playing, uh, you know, many times I've been playing the drums and people are chanting, but they're not chanting with the drum. They're just chanting. They're just. Mm-hmm. They're not following it along or letting the downbeat carry where their words go. So it is, you know, some people can do it just absolutely naturally, but other people have kind of a hard time sometimes. So it's really just that part of it is really just 
figuring out that you can understand rhythm. Everybody can. It's just that you have to take the time to kind of listen to it for a minute. Um, I think that 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 one builds off our ritual construction because drum and chant in ritual is kind of like an energy battery. Oh, show. You know, Um, it can help raise the energy up. It can bring the energy down. It can peak the energy off. It can give people a minute while you're maybe, well, how are you ritualizing your theme and... You know, we all we all like some background music. Yeah, I was gonna say that the <laughs> you know? ambientness of just a drum, even if you're not chanting to it, even if you're just right. talking over it while you're doing your thing, it does something. It, it make it settles the mind in a spot where it will listen. Ooh, drum teacher. <laughs> so, so you got kind of like I mean, that's the whole idea of the low hit on a drum, like the bass, is basically your heartbeat. And where did you hear your heartbeat for the first time? And your mom's heartbeat when you were in the womb. Mm-hmm. So that reminds you of this calmness whenever you hear that. And then there's the high-pitched little beep-bops, you know, hits that mm-hmm. come in a rhythm, and those are to wake you up from that slumber. So it's this constant waking up, going to sleep kind of feeling that puts you in this other state or this other consciousness. And that's really all it is, is it's lulling you to sleep with its low end, and then it's waking you back up with its high end, so you can never actually fall asleep or pay, you know, 100% attention. So you kind of let yourself fall into this, the rhythm. And everybody's done it. You've listened to a song and your hips have just started moving. Mm-hmm. That's what's happening right there. It's, it's, it's pulling you in a certain place. It's not putting you all the way to sleep. And it's not waking you all the way up. It's keeping you in that little spiral of a rhythm the whole time. So I guess during that one, we'll also be teaching some of our favorite ritual chants. Sure. Yay, Clockta. Yay. Sure. <laughs> we can sing Clockta. Clockta's got us <laughs> something fair. <laughs> he won't be singing. Won't. He will be drumming. Oh. I'll do the singing. <laughs> and so will Samuel. Because usually, we didn't do it this past Samhain. But for the last two, right, we have written some, uh, we have written some chants, this little coven over here. Well, yeah, well, what the hell is it before we move on? Glockta. It's Glockta Lady. Lady. Goddess Fair. That's it. Okay. Come to us. On Rasted Air. Again, yeah. he will not the be The drums. Singing. No, I won't. <laughs> but everybody starts. You know what's so funny is that I had never even engaged with a chant before I met Tamara at the... Uh, Black Lives Matter protest justice ritual. I had oh. never touched a chant, ever looked at a chant, even thought about adding a chant. But chanting has now become an integral part of my personal practice. So much so that it's almost everything. It's it's in every ritual I do. Any type of more ecstatic ritual needs a chant. Oh, yeah. It almost feels like there is this silence that need to be filled by a chant, so much so that I've come up with my own chant mm-hmm. based off of the tones that we've, we've used in ritual. So uh, you may not have a great singing voice, but chanting became something so integral to my personal practice after having felt the energy that it moved. Uh, it, this will be probably one of my favorite classes, and I will be very excited to take this class as well. <laughs> so, uh, speaking to the idea that 
you know, not everybody's got a great singing voice. Not everybody can yeah, play it's a not drum. Yeah, voice. I'm just teasing Braxton. I know, no, <laughs> no. I just, I was just gonna say I can't sing, and and I'd rather not. I'd rather play the drums. That needs to happen. So I'm, I'm willing to do that and not put my voice in there if need be. But what I was gonna say is, just everybody starts somewhere. You know, if you can't sing or feel like you can't chant. Start trying because that's how everybody else got to where they were was just by just yeah. doing it, just doing it. And if you feel like you can't play drums, start trying to play drums because that's the only thing that's going to make you figure out rhythm and play some. Right. Blah, I always blah, blah. say uh, I pick the chance that I can sing. That's a good idea. Because there's plenty of ones out there that I can't. It's too high. It's too. It, it, it's a too different. I can't do that one. So I'm just not going to use that one. I'm going to use the one that I can sing so that it's not making me feel like, this sucks. And then there goes all your, all your energy, right? Mm-hmm. In November, I'll be leading lineage and witchcraft history. And so this is going to talk about uh, um, our particular lineage, um, as well as like a who's who in modern witchcraft. You know, there's some of the... The older teachers um, that have done a lot of work to get us to where we are now, um, and it is sort of like a, a witchcraft revival um, in the last bunch of years. And there's so many people that are in, involved and in, in offering things and and writing right now that uh, that a lot of people might know. But I also think it's really important to know the people that came before, you know, like the the oldies before me. Um, whether they are on this side of the of the living or if they're in the, our craft ancestors. So we'll be talking about that because I think that our history is is important in knowing who got us to where we are. And it might not be the type of craft that you are practicing, but, um, you know, are, are respecting our, our elders and our craft parents and grandparents and great-grandparents is, uh, is important to me. Something I think is important to mention here, too, is that modern people, modern practitioners, love to shit on Wicca. Oh, hell and, yeah, they do. And as as much as I think that Wicca did a disservice to us by fluffy bunnying sure. the practice, it made it more palpable to modern people. I can wear my pentacle outside and not be stoned to death. Right. You know, so uh, we have to have the uh, things that pave the way for where we currently are. And it is absolutely important and necessary for us to honor where we come from to not only recognize where wh- what we what we had to go through to get here currently and what our ancestors even if they're not blood ancestors what they went through. It's vastly important for us to recognize, hey, I don't practice this way, but the reason they did what they did is the reason I'm able to practice so openly and freely, and is now currently a cultural boom. Witchcraft is such a cultural boom, and it started almost in the 90s with Gerald Gardner. Mm -hmm. Like, it is, it is, that's the reason why. That is absolutely the reason why. Yep, so we're going to talk about all those people. And I'm sure there'll be people that we have to leave out because, right, we're going to have to. There's a lot of people doing things, but um, a who's who and where we came from. And then finally, in December, I will be talking about trance work 
and trance prophecy. Blah, blah, blah. Blank, blank, blank. And I think for that one, I'm hoping that we can actually have a... It be more of a workshop slash recorded Zoom, too, or, or, or Zoom, because um, I think that I want to approach it like a like science class. Like you had, you had your lecture and then you had lab. You know what I mean? So yeah. we'll be talking some about it. It's not necessarily going to be, you know, one class is not going to be enough to, <clears throat> to, to train up a bunch of seers. But if people are in the Indianapolis, <clears throat> excuse me, area, I think that one, I think I will open up to be people being present so that um, we can put some people on the seat potentially and walk them down and have a mini trance ritual. Bunsen burner. Bunsen burner. That's what you do in a lab. <laughs> when you leave the Bunsen burner on in the lab yeah, and then you cast down. the flame in front of it. Yeah. And then you have a big giant fireball. Oops. And then Miss Nichols like, Tamra. Yeah, that was me. <laughs> there's, a, there's a TikTok sound by this like, women in STEM. Bunsen burner. And that's just what I thought of like, women in trans prophecy. <laughs> I was really into the sacred fire, so much so. So, um, yeah, so, you know, trans work, prophecy. We'll have some books to recommend that people read, one of which is from people that taught me trance um, prophecy, and then also safe work. We'll talk about the Norse version of it a bit. And that one is definitely a work in a work in progress, but I would definitely like some more people that I've trained here uh, in at least in our area uh, to learn this skill up because it is not something that um, I think many people are trained to do, but yet it is important work. And as as someone who came from a Afro Caribbean spirituality where possession was mounting what is a vastly necessary important practice and I personally never really connected to it trans prophecy <clears throat> I think is one of those things that is uh, not only integral to pagan community but it is something that riddles really settles in me that I am doing work not for myself it is for community it is in service um, uh, and I really think that this course is a culmination of everything that you've learned in the previous 11 months. It's something that, that I have felt an enormous amount of appreciation for having learned, and I'm very excited to continue on working it at, in trans prophecies the farther that the Crow Torch and Pharaoh might develop as a coven and not only as a coven but as a working group of people that get to do a service and ritual for a wider community yeah and i i guess i should explain what that is more because i guess i'm assuming that people might know but this is where we are training up seers seeresses to quote unquote take the seat and allow deity to speak through them um, the original training that I had in safe work was um, more true oracular, where in the Norse um, reconstructed safe 
developed by Diana Paxson, we were trained to go into Hela's realm, to walk through, you know, Helheim, and sit in her throne, and you're giving prophecy from her throne. And that can sometimes be quite symbolic and sort of, you know, can be hard to understand. You've got to have a scribe, and someone's writing it down, and you're interpreting it later. Um, the process of trans regression, prof like trans prophecy regression, excuse me, um, that I was taught by Janet Farah and Gavin Bone, I think it was like 2002, the first time I, I was trained for that. It, it allows the communication between the questioner or querent and the deity coming through the person to be more conversational because we are not going too far into the, the collective unconscious the way that you are technically within safe work. And so it can be scary. I know I fought it quite hard the first time I uh, took the seat in safe. Um, I love being a guide. So there's you know training up people can, who can guide a person down. Um, that's where the drum and the chant kind of comes into that as well as what Samuel was saying. Uh, can you what? explain for those people who don't know what safe is? Safe. It's the Norse version of. I know what it is. I'm just saying that. I did. Some... Oh, I you did? Okay. I, I think I did. Yeah. D Diana Paxson reconstructed what they thought that the safe Konas were doing in the, okay. the Scandinavian uh, cultures. And it is a bit of a different type of ritual, but. Um, and it's. You're not bringing necessarily the deity through the seer. The seer is acting more like a. I think that. You know the oracles in Kume or or Delphi, right? Acting as like that true oracular um, function, and whereas this is allowing that deity to speak through a person and have that conversation back and forth. And so while we might talk with our gods or pray to our gods or you know make those offerings and speak to them, and and we might not get that all the time get that true conversational answer if we do a lot of meditation and sometimes we might get that I'm sorry with my phone um, get that ability to hear that voice that we know it's not ours this is totally different um, and any time that I have taken the seat or I have guided somebody that's been on the seat or just been in those particular types of rituals um, it's always moving for, I would say, if everyone, if not the majority of people that are, are willing to go up and, and ask that question and get that guidance, you know, like what do people always ask, what do I ask? Well, what would you sit down and need guidance for at a, at a divination, a tarot reading, a, you know, a Lenormand reading? Like what, what are you working through? What do you, if you had the chance to have a conversation with Hakate, with the Morrigan, with Odin, what would you ask them? Never a dry eye in the house. Yeah. People will cry. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's, um. There's a year's worth of shit right there. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you want to sign up, you go to the Temple of the Hallowed Gods. Um. I think I've created that little <laughs> payment page, right? Did you I did. Did I, say? I did. You did. Yeah. I, I, you know what? I guess it was cheese brain. I, I think I do things sometimes, and then I, I realize I haven't. But I did. Uh, every each class individually is twenty dollars. Um, you can also sign up to take the class in its entirety, 
and that is a $235 course payment. Um, classes begin on January 23rd, and they are every third Saturday at 7 p.m. And those Zoom links are sent to class participants at sign up. And just to reiterate, um, even though I know Tamara mentioned this previously, um, you don't have to take every course right. if you don't want to. But for people who are petitioning to join the Crow Torch and Feral Night Coven, not only are is every course required as well as homework, but please reach out to Tamara, our Coven High Priestess and ordained High Priestess of the Cote, <laughs> uh, to. Uh, gain more information about more specifics geared towards uh, petitioners, right. which there are. And not only is that supposed to be to protect you as a petitioner, but it's also supposed to protect the coven as well uh, for uh, work-minded and spiritually inclined practitioners, which is really what we're looking for. Right. And I, and I know that um, we gave it a little discount. If you pay yeah. in full, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, it's a little. It's I think it's a little discount. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know it can it can sound like oh, you're paying to be in the coven. No, you're not. You're paying. You're you're paying to learn this information, right? We are not a teaching coven at this point. So these are the things that we would want someone to know if they were then petitioning the coven. You could say, hey, I would like to petition this coven. I live in the Indianapolis, Bloomington area. And then halfway through decide, you don't like us very much. Or you don't like how friends, <laughs> wouldn't be new to me. <laughs> um, you might decide, you know, I don't really particularly get down with the way that they work. You could decide at the end of those 12 months, this was great information for me, but I don't want to petition the coven at this point. Okay, but you still walked away with 12 months of learning and information, and it's yours to do with what you want. So, for I'm still, I mean, Samuel just talked about he's taken a course with Robin Artisan. I can't even tell you how many courses I have taken and will take, and I've been practicing for 23, 24 years, and I will continue to do that. But um, I'm also not really um, particularly wanting to do the teaching aspect when I meet with my coven kindred at a full moon. I want that time for us to practice as practitioners and my teaching time will be uh, every third Saturday at 7 p.m. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. If it's more time. And I guess this is to, I guess we can close it out here if we, if we decide, but yeah. uh, even when I was involved with, and still am involved with my godmother's spiritual house. We had to pay a derecho. It was $21 when we showed up to the house to learn. It is a historical thing to pay the people that teach you. It is not a modern thing. Knowledge comes at a cost, whether it is time, whether it is money. I remember painting the the house that we went to. Mm -hmm. I painted it green. And it wasn't because I felt like I was, it was slave labor. It was because I was learning as I was going and I was making sure that, that what the energy that I was putting in was equal to the amount of energy that I was getting in return. Right. So uh, $20 to uh, 
have an hour and a half of a course of somebody who's been practicing for quite a long time in the grand scheme of things is not that significant of amount of money. It's no. not, and I've said this on a TikTok video that I said before, it's not about the money. It is about the time and energy that you are putting towards it. And $20 for what is, you know, me personally, nine years of practice, Tamara's however many years of practice, that that is pennies pennies in the amount of time and effort that we've used to cultivate this practice. Right. And, and that money goes will go towards cut and do's, tools, retreats, and things that we will do collectively right. as a group. So it's not just going to pay for my gas money. No. It, it, it may goes even... towards rituals, towards offerings, towards right. things that we do not only as a coven but as a community service. Right. Because those public rituals do cost us money to put them on, right? Oh, and money. It's, um, yeah, I mean, I might even take part of it and put it towards my prison library fundraiser, you know, because I, 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 some of the money may go to that. If whatever, um, if I choose to take my little profit and put it towards buying, uh, women in prison some magical books and I'm going to do that with it too and, and honestly I think that the 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 process of petitioning that the temple of the hallowed gods has in place is there to protect the petitioner as well as any individual coven and I, I wish that something like that had been in place for me when I first stepped foot into a quote-unquote high priestess's house um, there were no safety features and I did spend a year in a quite abusive um, environment. And had I known, had I been had time to, you know, take slow steps into it, I could have exited out the door before it became practically running for our spiritual lives, which, which is what it was. And so um, I, it's a process that's worked really well in the past and will continue to work well into the future. So again... Just visit templeofthehallowedgods.com and you'll be able to sign up for a class. Boom. All of them. Bam, boom. So mode it be. So mode it be. So mode it be.